The reading today is from uh, Luke chapter 19. Jesus entered Jericho and was passing through. A man was there by the name of Zacchaeus. He was a chief tax collector and was wealthy. He wanted to see who Jesus was, but because he was short, he could not see over the crowd. So he ran ahead and climbed a sycamore fig tree to see him, since Jesus was coming that way. When Jesus reached the spot, he looked up and said to him, Zacchaeus, come down immediately. I must stay at your house today. So he came down at once and welcomed him gladly. All the people saw this and began to mutter, He has gone to be the guest of a sinner. But Zacchaeus stood up and said to the Lord, Look, Lord, here and now I will give half of my possessions to the poor. And if I have cheated anybody out of anything, I will pay back four times the amount. Jesus said to him, Today salvation has come to this house, because this man too is a son of Abraham. For the son of man who came to seek and save the lost. This is the word of the Lord. All right, well, it is so good once again to see you, and it's so good to celebrate these child dedications and this baptism that we'll have after communion. What a, what a sweet and beautiful moment for us as a church. We are experiencing so much of God's goodness and grace in this season, so I hope you can occasionally pause and just enjoy this moment and be grateful for what the Lord is doing in our midst, because it is a beautiful, beautiful thing. Well, last week we started a new teaching series called Jesus, Money, and Eternity, colon, Spiritual Formation in a Consumer Culture. And for a little bit of review, Jesus spoke on money more than any other topic in his earthly ministry. And further, when he was teaching on, mini- on money, what he said was, was incredibly significant. He often put it in terms of, of worship and salvation. Jesus knew that we are so easily given to comparison, striving, overwork, envy. He knows how money can become a problem for us. He, he even sees how it can become the problem for us. And so what we're trying to to show in this series is that there's no mature spiritual formation apart from a Christ-like relationship to money. And today we're looking at two questions in particular. How do we find true freedom in this life, especially in relationship to money and possessions and our future? And how do we uproot the causes of anxiousness and worry of striving and, and overworking, of comparison and envy. And to, to, to get those answers, or to at least get closer to them, we're going to look at, at one ordinary man's encounter with Jesus. We're going we're gonna to see Zacchaeus' uh, encounter with Jesus as a sort of case study in finding true freedom in Christ. And so we're going to look at three things, how to identify and let go of the things that enslave us, how to embrace the true freedom that Jesus offers. And then third, why we can trust Jesus' offer, why we can trust his offer of true freedom. So how to, how to identify and let go of the things that enslave us, how to embrace true freedom, and then why we can trust Jesus' offer. So these are hard topics. Let me pray for us again, and we'll get into the text. Uh, Father God, we look to you. We look to your word. We look to your wisdom. I know every one of us longs for true freedom in every way, and yet so many of us have experienced a a type of low-key bondage around issues of money and status and wealth. 
But sometimes we look more like the world than we look like you, Lord Jesus. And so we ask, Lord, would you set us free? Knowing that there is, there is so much uh, at stake here, there is so much uh, sort of waging war against us in relationship to money and possessions, will you push back on the forces of darkness that want to keep us enslaved, keep us oblivious, keep us lukewarm? Set us free, Lord Jesus, we pray. Amen. All right, so let's start with how to let go of the things that enslave us. The story begins like this. Jesus entered Jericho and was passing through. A man was there by the name of Zacchaeus. He was a chief tax collector and was wealthy. And so Zacchaeus, in, in most ways, is, is a lot like us. Now, he's living in, in first century Israel, which at the time was, was moderately impoverished. They had become a province of the Roman Empire in the year 6 AD, and so they had their own kind of regular poverty, and yet as they became a province of Rome, they were taxed by Rome heavily. Approximately half of their income was sent back to the Roman Empire, and so they were living on very meager means. And so Zacchaeus probably grew up in this environment and grew up in this poverty, and he saw his, his parents struggling. He saw his family struggling, and, and he wanted a, a different life for himself. He wanted to rise above this struggle. He wanted to rise above the, the struggle of his family, of his peers, of, of all those around him, and he was willing to, to put in the work to get that better life. We also see in our passage that Zacchaeus is a man who is interested in Jesus. I mean, he's not, he's not going all the way up to, to Galilee, to Nazareth, but, but if Jesus is coming by, if he's coming to Jericho, he will, he will find a way to see this man. So he's some kind of a spiritual seeker as well. Now it says in verse 3, famously, he wanted to see who Jesus was, but because he was short, he could not see over the crowd so he ran ahead and climbed a sycamore fig tree. Now, Zacchaeus is, is too short to see through this, this crowd. This is, uh, this is late in Jesus' ministry. He's close to going to the cross. And so large crowds are following Jesus. And Zacchaeus is short enough that, I mean, that if the Bible calls you short, he's probably pretty short. And he can't see over the crowd. Now, if you think about it for a second, what do we do if we're in a crowd and there's a, a child or, or a shorter person than us? We always let them through to the front, right? Like I'm, I'm six foot three. Uh, I, I am the shortest of the teaching pastors here. But even at, at six three, if I'm at a parade, like the homecoming parade, a, a child or a short person in front of me is not really a problem. And there's candy involved there. So, so imagine Zacchaeus is trying to get to the front of this crowd, but nobody will let him through. Why? Well, it's because he's a tax collector. It's because they do not like him. They know who he is, and they will not let him to the front. It's like they're one moment to get back at him. Now, for a little bit of context, as I said, Rome, uh, Roman Empire has, has taken Israel as a, a province, and so there's a little bit of a trade-off. It means that Israel is not going to be uh, invaded by the Roman Empire. They're not going to be wiped out, and they're going to be free to worship their, their own God, the God of Israel, which was their top priority. But in exchange, they are taxed heavily, and they are, they are constantly under Roman pressure. 
And so these taxes were significant, as I said, but to ensure that these taxes were actually paid, Rome hired Jewish tax collectors to go around and gather these taxes. So these tax collectors, they, they are Israelites, but they have basically sold themselves out to the, to the empire. They are, they are going around collecting taxes on behalf of Caesar and sending them back to Rome. And what's more is even though this tax was significant, about half of their income, the tax collectors, they didn't get paid. They worked on commission, and their commission was whatever they took above that 50%. And so they were not only allowed, but they were instructed to take far beyond the 50% and keep whatever they could get for themselves so long as they sent the full tax back to Rome. And so these guys were constantly cheating the poor and needy Israelites, their own countrymen and family members, out of their money. And so on the one hand, you have being a, a tax collector was one of the only ways to make a, a comfortable kind of upper middle class living in that culture. And yet it meant being hated and rejected, despised by your own community members. This, of course, is what Zacchaeus chose to do with his life. And not only was he a tax collector, it says that he is the chief tax collector. I mean, that's a C-level that's position, you know? He's C-tax-O in this world. He's the big tax collector. And so they do not like Zacchaeus. It's, it's easy to look at Zacchaeus and, and immediately despise him. That's what most people did. But if, if we can pause and actually think about Zacchaeus on a little bit more human level and have some compassion for him, I mean, yes, he's, he's incredibly wealthy, and yet perhaps he just made a, a series of small life choices that, that got him to where he is, and he didn't necessarily plan to end up in this place, and he certainly didn't intend to end up this rejected and lonely and despised. I mean, at the beginning of our passage, we see this is a man who is, who is alone. He's not with anybody else. He doesn't seem to have a family, but he's rejected and, and despised. He has wealth. He has comfort and security. He's got an easy retirement. He achieved the American dream like centuries before America existed, and yet he's alone and miserable. So the question is, how do we identify the things that enslave us? How do we break free of the things that consume us? It's not just money. It could be the, the approval of others and, and popularity. It could be the status of a job title or, or occupation. It could be the perception of others that we are good, balanced, healthy, intelligent people. It could also be a, a type of escapism where, where we are trying to get out from under the pain of life and so we turn to easy fixes. I mean, it could be drugs or alcohol. It could off, also be as, as simple as shopping or vacations or aimlessly scrolling Netflix, Instagram, Pinterest, uh-oh, NFL mock drafts. See, I got you all. See, the things that consume us, though, are, are there for a reason, Right? We turn to them as, as sort of safety schemes in this world. When life gets too overwhelming to, to face the fullness of it, we try, to, we try to escape a little bit. We turn to things to give us safety and comfort. The dream job protects us from feeling like a failure. Popularity protects us from loneliness and rejection. The money protects us from a feeling of insignificance. We escape into social media and other hard drugs because facing reality is so difficult sometimes. 
And so there's, there's nothing wrong with a great job, with vacations, keeping up with your friends. Social media is not really a hard drug, I just call it that. But we, we take good things and we, we turn them into safety schemes. You know what I mean by that? I mean, they, they become for us a, a source of quick comfort and, and they can become something that we turn to when we should be turning to the Lord for comfort. And then we can end up in this vicious cycle of bondage. And I think that's where Zacchaeus finds himself. And so maybe he's not that different from we, from we are. Now, the second thing is, how do we embrace the true freedom that Jesus offers? Look at verse 5. It says, when Jesus reached the spot, he looked up and said to him, Zacchaeus, come down immediately. I must stay at your house today. So Zacchaeus came down at once and welcomed him gladly. All the people saw this and began to mutter, he is gone to be the guest of a sinner. Now, this is what Jesus always does. This is classic Jesus. If you're new to Christianity, if you're just exploring it, if you're still getting used to, to stories in the Bible, I would suggest go right to the Gospel of Luke because it is full of these amazing encounters, these one-on-one -on -one stories of Jesus and some ordinary person. And so Jesus is, is moving through the crowd. The security disciples are, are dispersing the crowd as he's coming through. And yet Jesus, classic Jesus, he is not in a hurry. And because he's not in a hurry, he's able to see things that the disciples can't see. And he looks up and he sees a man in a tree. And that's what everybody saw, which is, it's an odd thing, a man in a tree. He also saw a a tax collector like everybody saw, somebody that was disliked. But Jesus saw something even more. He saw the man. He saw Zacchaeus. And when he sees him, he, he calls him by name, Zach. Zach, come on down. Zach, let's go to your house and let's eat. And Zacchaeus must be thinking, how does he, how does he know my name? Doesn't he know who, who I am? Doesn't he know what I do? Doesn't he know my sin? Why would he want to come to my house? Nobody ever wants to come to my house. And so verse 6 says that Zacchaeus came down and welcomed him gladly. That word gladly, it's, it's the strongest word you could put there in the Greek. It could also be joyfully or, or rejoicingly. He is overwhelmed with excitement that Jesus would call his name and he comes down. Now, verse 7 says that the people, these good law-abiding Israelites, these, these Rome-hating Israelites, they are appalled, they're indignant, they're angry. They say, doesn't Jesus know who this man is? He's a traitor. He's an, an outcast. He's a sinner. But of course, Jesus knew this. We'll see in verse 10 that this is exactly why Jesus came to seek and to save the lost and so they go to, to Zacchaeus' house. Jesus calls all of his friends. He says, get your, your tax collector friends. Get the guys with the track suits and the sunglasses. Get them over here. Let's have a rowdy good time. Let's put that wealth to good use. But I don't know if you ever, ever look at a narrative in the scriptures and, and ask what, what happened between a couple of verses. Because in verses 6 and 7, you see Zacchaeus come down, the people are angry. And then in verse 8, Zacchaeus pledges like more than half of his money and possessions to Jesus. And so what, what happened between verses 7 and 8? And what we know is that Zacchaeus and Jesus had a conversation. 
And we can imagine what, what that would be like to be in your own home, at your own table, surrounded by the few people you have in life, and right next to you is the Son of God. I mean, you get an unhurried time with Jesus. And I imagine Jesus beginning to ask Zacchaeus questions. How did, how did you become a tax collector? What was it like for you growing up? And as he begins to ask questions and explore Zacchaeus' heart, a, a sort of peace and conviction comes over Zacchaeus. Maybe his eyes are filled with tears as he's engaging with Jesus on a heart-to-heart level. Maybe Jesus even says, I, I know, Zacchaeus, you have been looking for something, haven't you? You've been looking for someone. Zacchaeus, it's, it's me. I'm the one. I'm the Son of God right in front of you. And Zacchaeus believes, and then we see it in verse 8. Zacchaeus stood up and said to the Lord, Look, Lord, here and now I give half my possessions to the poor. And if I've cheated anybody out of anything, I will pay back four times the amount. See, one encounter with Jesus is enough to change the trajectory of your entire life. Zacchaeus had made money his God. He had made this mammon, the the pursuit of money and the life that it can afford. He had made it his God, and now he has a new God. Immediately upon meeting and eating with Jesus, he must be convinced that he is the Son of God. And so he stands up, commits half of his money and possessions to the poor. It's, It's incredible generosity. And then he goes above and beyond that and says, anybody that I've cheated, I'm going to pay them back four times what I took from them. And so he's, he's not just tithing. He's not just doing the minimum. He is giving as much as he can from the overflow of a changed, transformed heart. Joyfully, he receives Jesus. Rejoicingly, he's going to give too. Now, the, the four times thing is interesting this, there, there is only one thing in, in the Old Testament law that said that you have to give four times back the amount of something you've taken, and it was for stealing cattle, which was one of the primary means of, of income in that day. And so the penalty, it was actually the harsh, harshest penalty in all of the Old Testament for, for a crime like this. It's to pay back four times the value of that thing. And so it, it doesn't directly apply to this situation, and yet Zacchaeus chooses to apply it to himself. He willingly chooses the the harshest Old Testament penalty for himself. What he's doing is he's not scheming to find the, the smallest number to give, but he's scheming to find the biggest one he can give. And if you're reading the Gospel of Luke asking how much money should I give away, you're going to get some really confusing and seemingly conflicting answers. Because in Luke 11, Jesus affirms the Pharisees' practice of giving 10% away. And he he doesn't challenge them on that. He challenges them on other things. But then we see Zacchaeus giving away 50%. And then in the very next chapter, Luke uh, 18, or the chapter before, it's the rich young ruler who comes to Jesus for salvation And Jesus says, you need to give 100%. You might say, well, well, which one is it? How how much are we supposed to give? And what we realize is that anybody who asks that question, Jesus is not going to just give a simple answer. He's going to go straight for the heart. Jesus is always engaging our hearts. And it shows that that answer will be different for every one of us as well. He shows that basic obedience to the law is 10%. But when Zacchaeus joyfully responds to Jesus, he gives far more than is commanded. 
In the same way, the rich young ruler was, was so ruled by money, he was so consumed by money. Jesus looked at him and knew him and loved him and said, for you, you're going to have to give it all. He could see this man's heart, and he knew that there was going to be no following Jesus without giving it all away. I mean, going straight back to zero and just starting fresh. That's what it would require for the rich young ruler to follow Jesus. So the proper question for those changed by God's love, it's not how much should I give, it's how much can I give. And no one whose life has been completely set free will think any amount is too much. As we said last week, few things cause us spiritual bondage like the issue of money and possessions. We desperately want to be free, but only Jesus can get us there. And we said there's sort of two different ways that we can approach money. The first is a cycle of insecurity and striving, overworking, comparison, and anxiousness. Richard Foster wrote, when we lack a divine center, our need for security leads us to an insane attachment to things. Now, the other way we can relate to money is to have the love of God at the center of our lives. And when you are living in the love of God, it makes you radically secure. Instead, we live in humility. We accept the limits that God has put on our lives. We don't compare ourselves to others. Our lives become marked by contentment simplicity, and generosity. And so Zacchaeus found this true freedom, and and it all happened instantly for him. He was moved all the way to generosity. For others of us, it takes longer. Martin Luther, the old reformer, said, there must not only be a conversion of the heart, but also a conversion of the wallet and purse. I've heard it said that conversion to Christ is actually three things, conversion to belief, conversion to community, and conversion to generosity. They don't always happen all at once. But as Jesus shows us, one encounter with him is enough to change everything. But the question is, how do we trust it? That's the third thing. Can we trust Jesus' offer of true freedom? Because if we really are going to live radically different, if we really are going to give away the, the center of our lives to God and to Jesus, we, we have to be sure that it's going to hold, right? Like it makes sense why we would attach our, our identity to money and possessions and status and control. How do we give all of that up and how do we know that Jesus is worth following? Look at verse 9. Jesus said to him, today salvation has come to this house because this man too is the son of Abraham. For the son of man came to seek and to save the lost. Now, Jesus generously calls Zacchaeus a son of Abraham. It's, it's what the Israelites were not willing to do. They would not call him their own. They would say he had fallen far from the tree. He was not a true Israelite. He was a traitor. Jesus looks at him, sees his faith, his faith in him, Jesus. He says, you are the true son of Abraham. Anyone who believes in me is the true son of Israel. Now, remember why Zacchaeus was in that tree in the first place. He was alone. He was rejected. He was despised. And Jesus says, come down, Zacchaeus. He calls him by name. Come down and eat. And I don't know if you do this when one of your friends has a little bit more money than you. Like, I'll text somebody and be like, hey, you want to hang out and watch the game? They're like, sure. And I'm like, let's do your place. 
because my TV is like 27 inches. And they're like, sure, come on over. And that's what Jesus is doing. He's like, Zacchaeus, come down. I don't have a home. Let's go to your place. But he saw the person, right? He didn't just see the job title. He didn't just see the sin. He saw the man. Come down, Zach. Let's have a feast. Tim Keller summarizes it like this. Come down from your tree of isolation and join the feast of love. See, that's the message today. Come down and join the feast. There's no application this week. There's, there's nothing you must do, you know, maybe unless you're like on behalf of the Roman Empire, ripping off the poor and needy, then give four of times that back to them. Other than that, we'll get to the application later in the series. This is all about true freedom and the heart change that's required for it. Come down from the high places you've climbed. Come down from the safety schemes you've established to protect yourself in this world. Come down from the insecurity of living without Jesus' love at the center of your life. Come down from comparison, overworking, that that sort of self-concern that we plan to leave behind later on. Come down, Jesus says. Join the feast. You also are a child of God. I don't know if you noticed the the further significance of Zacchaeus' tree. Uh, There are trees all over the scriptures. It's, It's like borderline odd, the role that trees play in the scriptures. Once you start looking for it, you'll see it. It's everywhere. I mean, Matthew, the disciple, was sitting under a tree when he was called to discipleship. All kinds of people are continually taking, taking refuge in the shade of trees. In the Garden of Eden, the, the tree is associated with life. And yet when we get to Deuteronomy, we see this verse, cursed is anyone hung on a tree. And Judas, when he sold out Jesus, he hung himself from a tree because he knew he was cursed. And this is why Jesus went to the cross, the the significance of it. Jesus was hung on a tree to bear the curse for all mankind. Zacchaeus could only come down from the tree because Jesus was going to go up on the tree for him and for you and for me. It's, it's a sort of beautiful, great exchange that's taking place. Because here we have Jesus, the, the eternal Son of God, who has lived in heaven with all of this glory for all of his existence. And yet he comes down to earth and chooses insignificance, chooses poverty, chooses to give up his life on the cross. And he, and he died all alone in isolation. And yet on the other hand, he was Zacchaeus. He was isolated, rejected, and hated. And yet he gets Jesus' life. So Jesus, eternally wealthy with everything that matters, becomes poor. And then Zacchaeus, who was spiritually bankrupt, receives eternal riches in God's kingdom. Jesus sees this tax collector, sees his sin, sees all of the lostness and hopelessness destined to be, to be cursed, to die on the tree. And Jesus says, Zacchaeus, let's trade places. I'll take the tree and you take the feast. And that is what Jesus has done for every one of us. And he could do it, bearing the full weight of the curse on all mankind because he knew he would rise again in victory. The Son of Man came to seek and to save the lost. 
but it cost him everything. That is why we can trust him. That's why we can trust his offer of true freedom because it cost him everything. Jesus took the tree so we could get the feast. One encounter with Jesus will change your life forever. True freedom is available. Come down and join the feast. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, we can only thank you and praise you for who you are. That from your, your place of eternal glory on the, on the throne of heaven, you saw that there would be no way for us back to the Father, and so you came down. Lord Jesus, you lived on this earth a perfect life, greeting all those who were most rejected by society, the tax collectors, the outcasts, the poor and the needy. You welcome them to yourself and you welcome us to, our, to yourself as well. If only we would also lay down all those things that are keeping us where we are, those, those safety schemes that we have chosen, but Lord, they're failing us. So Lord Jesus, would you help us to identify those things, help us to move away from those things and choose life, choose something far better to seek not the things of this world, but to seek your eternal kingdom and love, God. Lord, I know there's so much at, at stake here in this topic. There's, there's generational brokenness. There's, there's deep-seated stuff that's, that's been in us for a long, long time. Lord Jesus, only you can pull up the roots of those things. But God, we long for that freedom. Would we as a people, as a community, may we be marked by a radical contentment that moves us towards simplicity in this world, that moves us towards generosity with one another. God, only you can do this. Would you do it in our midst, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen.